An axiom in show business maintains that directing is 90% casting. And the other 10%? Most directors will tell you it is correcting their casting mistakes. There is probably no decision in theater or film more emotionally fraught or more crucial than casting a production. I'm Patrick Pacheco of New York One and the LA Times for the American Theater Wing. And I'm delighted to welcome three veterans of that most essential process to working in the theater. Daniel Swee, who cast productions primarily for Lincoln Center Theater. David Caporelliotis, who has worked primarily with Manhattan Theater Club and has his own company. And Tara Rubin, who has worked with everybody under the sun, including directors Susan Stroman, Mike Nichols, Trevor Nunn, and Nick Heitner, to name just a few. Welcome all. Thank you. Thank you. I guess it starts with the text for you. You get a copy of the play. Is that, the is that where it totally starts in the casting process? Mm-hmm. Tara? Yes, we read the play. And um, it's different with each situation. Um, sometimes we read the play and make a list. Sometimes, and then usually we would have a meeting with either the director or if it's a contemporary playwright, director and producer and playwright or some combination of those three people. Sometimes it's a, if it's a revival or you know, uh, an existing text. Um, that changes things a little bit because either the writer won't be around and, and participating in the process, and then there's the history of that text to consider in our production. So we start with that. We usually make a list, um, and those lists can end up being completely off the mark and thrown away and, and start over after the meeting, but I usually think of them as, I usually try to make those kind of general. Mm -hmm. and. And, uh, Cast the net pretty wide at first. Yes, and, and start to engage the ideas of the director and and. Uh, you sort of it's interesting because you always run the risk a little bit. I don't know how you feel. We were saying in the green room that we know what we do because we we share the same profession, uh -huh. but how we do it, uh -huh. it's sort of a mystery. So it's so interesting <laughs> to hear other people talk about what we do. Um, in doing the initial list, there's a fine line between going off thesis a little bit and saying, hmm, I'm not sure if this is right, but I'd like to put this idea down. And if you've not worked with the, the, the team, you run the risk of them thinking, what the hell is he thinking? So you want to be creative, but at the same time, not so creative that they're like, I've clearly made a mistake. And <laughs> well, you basically want to, uh, the, the initial list, I think, is about finding a jumping off place for discussion yes, so that absolutely. you then enter into discussion with the director, with the writer, if they're alive, with the producer about what it is you're looking for, how they see. What's most important is finding out how your director and how your writer uh, see the role. And hearing that, because you've, you know how you've seen it initially from your first read, mm -hmm. I think. And then the great thing about the casting process is it so kind of transforms in the process of doing it. Mm -hmm. So the conversation may start off one way and be at a completely different place two hours later, and that's the exciting part of it. And being part of that conversation, I think, is the, the exciting part Absolutely. of what we do. Right. Have you ever read a play, a new work, obviously, and decided, I can't do this, and dropped out? I haven't. You've never had that experience? I have. A and what, what was the red flag for you, David? Honestly, it's a very, it's a, I mean, it's a guttural response. I think maybe in some ways the same way an actor reads a play and responds or doesn't. Um, it's just, if I, I mean, listen, it's a luxury to have job offers, so it's, I'm not in a position to turn many jobs down. It's been very, very rare. But it's just something that sometimes I feel like, you know, this particular subject matter is not, I just don't have an in. I don't think I'm the guy that is going to be able to be illustrative in any way. 
or I don't think I have anything particularly to offer. And knowing my colleagues, I imagine there's someone else that actually will. Uh, you know, I, I think that's true. Also, I think sometimes as well, there are various other pressures come to bear that come to bear in terms of knowing uh, what the expectation is from a producer uh, on a really? project that you're asked to do, or um, you know, timing. You know, that, that more than anything else is is what's going to be required when we're often at the mercy of uh, the director's schedules, the the producer's schedules, all sorts of other things, which are ex you know extremely complex and so so you have to figure out well can you actually do this job in the time allotted mm -hmm. when you walk into a room with obviously producer producer director writer composer in the case of a musical uh, who has veto power who are you who has power in the room in terms of casting the money question. <laughs> it all, does. It, yeah, it really everyone is. does, and it all depends. I mean, it Absolutely. depends on who the producer is, who the director is. Is it a regional project? And so an artistic director might have a strong role in the casting process. Most artistic directors are incredibly supportive and, and, and mm -hmm. uh, collaborative, and they, they want to nurture the ideas of their directors. So I would rarely think that an artistic director would, would exercise veto power. Um, and they're usually the ones who are most eager to make things, help things work out. And, they're there for, and often what they're great at is, is guidance, you yes. know, is, is yes. they're, they're doing this all the time as well. So they have great perspective and often um, great wisdom in terms of, of that, I think. I think it points to, sorry, Dana, I think it points to actually one of the main roles as a casting director, I think, is it's sort of like working for the UN. Uh -huh. Because it, a Serving lot of it is many masters, <laughs> yes. yeah, uh -huh. and it's about mediation, arbitration. It's about consensus people. building. Yeah, consensus building. Because at any given point, I could know Daniel Tara could know the director clearly is leading there. Uh -huh. The writer seems to want this. The producers seem to want this, and so we walk in the room, kind of knowing perhaps where the allegiances lie, and trying to think sort of like in a chess game. How can we facilitate getting everyone to the same point? Well, and, and the other thing, and I, I think this is probably a theme that will come up throughout this conversation, is we're collaborators. Mm -hmm. it's, it, that, I think, more than anything else is what we do. We're, we're part of a collaborative process, and um, uh, it's what we love about this, mm -hmm. I think. And it's often a political process. It's often a yep. complex process, but it's very much collaborative and it's 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 so much about the relationship you have with the director and with the writer and with the institution if you work for an institution or for the with the producer when you're working with a producer and it's um it, it is what's so gratifying about mm -hmm. doing it for for a long period of time i think but it's complicated there's what? a story to tell you know there's a story to tell you need to know what that is how you're going to tell it who the who are the right people to tell the story that they that the this team has decided to tell? That's the way I always kind mm -hmm. of start looking at it. So, like, is that a village? Like, are we we're creating a little village of people who are going to? And even if it's you know a revival of a musical, it's a village of people who are going to have to you know play roles in telling right. a story. And so putting all of that together. What's the most important quality in terms of playing that UN role, as you mm -hmm. described it, David? Is it uh, patience? Is it listening to, the, to, to both the subtext of what's going on in the room as well as what's actually going on in the room? I think it's all of the above. It is. Absolutely. We, you have to be really good at, at and sensitive about reading people about and, and really good about listening to them and seeing what different people want. And 
Um, and, you know, some, some situations are completely what they are and are completely out front. It's like any relationships, and other ones are much more complex, and you have to figure out how to get other people to communicate with each other. Mm. You know, it's often not just communicating with them, but... Getting them to communicate. And how yeah. do you do that? I, I think the same way you would do it at dinner, Thanksgiving dinner with your family. 100%. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about specific directors that you've worked with. Um, now, I know that you've worked, I believe, with Daniel Sullivan mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah. Who's a, obviously brilliant director. You've all worked with, yeah. with brilliant directors. I think on, obviously, on Good People. Is that right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's a good uh, tell me a little bit about how he approaches casting and how you work with him in approaching casting. It's, he sort of, he's a, uh, a touchstone for me in terms of my career because one of the first plays I worked on with him uh, was Proof. And Nancy Piccioni, who is the director of casting at Manhattan Theatre Club, was sort of leading that project, but I was working on it with them. And Dan, as I've said before publicly, scared the hell out of me because <laughs> he's very close to the vest. He's a lovely man, but he's, I mean, he's in, in, uh, amazingly intelligent and he's laser sharp. His focus is amazing. He knows what he wants. He's open to other things, but he knows what he wants. So cut to now I've worked with him on five or six shows and I have an idea of what kind of actors he will respond to what his aesthetic is. And I think that's part of our job too, when we're fortunate to work with people over and over, is this is the kind of person that I think he will respond to. And who are those people, um, those actors? Honestly, for Daniel, uh -huh. good, intelligent actors, very good, intelligent actors. You know, I mean, he, he responds to talent. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, he works with people again and again, but at the same time, he is equally as open to meeting someone he's never seen and saying, oh, okay. And I tell actors when they are coming into audition for him sometimes, if you get an adjustment from Daniel Sullivan, if you get the part, that's icing on the cake. But if he actually says, okay, here, boom, you've been adjusted by a master. Good for you. One out of 20. You know. And so. what actors would you steer away from him? Um, that's a tough question to answer, honestly. You know, I mean, I think... I think Daniel does like the actor to lead themselves. He will, he will shape, he will, you know, gently nudge, but he's looking for sort of someone who is going to have clear ideas before they come into the rehearsal room. Mm -hmm. You know, so I don't think, I, I don't know that, I hate the word needy, but an actor who's really looking for a lot of hand-holding uh -huh. is not going to be the kind of actor that you're going to want to send into a room with Daniel. Mm -hmm. you know? Fascinating. Tara, you've worked with Mike Nichols, uh, right, on Spamalot, I believe, mm -hmm. Country... The Country Wife. Country Wife. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe that, uh, that uh, saying that, that we started with, casting, uh, directing is 90% casting has been attributed to him. I'm not <laughs> sure he came up with it. But how is it like to work with Mike Nichols in terms of the actors you steer to him? Well, he's, you know, the most... You're working with him now. I think he's, like, the most generous person to be in a room with and he loves actors and he loves talented people um, so it, it if if you for me it was a matter of sort of getting over my initial intimidation that I was like actually sitting in a room with with a director who had sort of changed my life with with mm -hmm. many of the films that I had that he did at certain points in his career and theater productions too so um, but it, it some things about what you said about Daniel Sullivan I think are similar he he responded to really talented people. In Spamalot, of course, we were doing a comedy, so 
uh, it was people who, there were a lot of funny people who couldn't quite master the Python humor. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so that was sort of, that was a, a big challenge in the first couple of sessions. Of, and had Mike you, done a musical at that point? Was that his first one or had he? No, that wasn't his first musical, but, but, um, and he was, but you know, he's very, he, he knows everything that's going on in New York City at any mm -hmm. time. And so it was really fun to introduce him. I know when Sada Ramirez came in to, to audition, he was, it was a spectacular audition and she's so spectacular. And I think he had seen her because she had been in a Nora Ephron movie, but he had never, you know, he, I don't think he really knew just how, how brilliant she was. So that was really fun to be able to introduce him to some, some new performers. And, and um, that turned out to be a really successful collaboration for the two of them. So I, I enjoyed that part of it. And, and he taught me a lot about um, what to, in, about comedy. I mean, I'd worked on a lot of comedy and I learned a lot about comedy from working with Susan Stroman too. Mm -hmm. um, but he always had this thing about not reaching out and never pushing and never, you know, not reaching out to the audience, but always having the audience come to them. And that really helped me as I continued to work on Spam a lot to have, he mentioned, he said that early on in the, in the casting process. And that was something that really helped me as I continued to find people to bring to him. It's interesting that because I think we learn from directors all the time. Every I mean, day. It's, it's <laughs> Every again day. one of the great things about 100%. what we do and that we've all had the privilege of working with incredibly talented directors. I mean, it's mm. quite amazing. And you learn something from every one of them. You learn specifically about that show. You learn how they're working on something. You learn how they work with actors. But it gives you insight into how to do your own job mm -hmm. tremendously. Mm -hmm. yep. Certainly how to do your job for them, since we're working for them, and uh, uh, how to continue to do your job when a show runs for a long time. You, you learn what it is that they want out of casting for that show. But it's, it's just in terms of the long-term benefits of you know, what you learn from Dan or what you learn from someone like, like Mike Nichols, it's, it's, you know, it's invaluable. What have you learned from George Wolfe, say, working with him on Free Man of Color? Um, he is, well, he's, he's remarkable in an audition room. He, he's one of the smartest people I've ever, um, I've ever worked with, I think. He's, uh, he's incredibly insightful. He's incredibly knowledgeable. Um, uh, what I learned is he's always right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, I, but I'm seriously, every, you know, someone could come in, um, whatever, you know, the direction that he would give them in an audition was, was mm -hmm. perfect mm -hmm. always. Um, uh, you know, I, I think he, he had a, a sort of remarkable understanding of, of knowing uh, what was required of each role in that play in terms of, of, um, of what roles particularly required uh, certain kinds of emotional depth, what roles required certain kinds of comedy and so, or certain kinds of theatricality in a sense um, that are, that are you know, maybe often required in, in Guerre plays. But, but um, uh, you know, he's a tremendously 
remarkable guy, I think. You've also worked with Matthew Warchus on mm -hmm. God of Carnage as well. Is there a difference uh, between working with a British director and a, an American director in terms of where they're coming from in casting? I think it's always hard to make generalizations because every British director I've worked with is completely different from each mm -hmm. other. Um, just the way every American actor, uh, American director is different from each other. I, I, you know, I think that that there's a different casting process that they tend to come from. Yeah. Um, a different tradition, don't you think? That, yes. That a lot of um, English directors, when you're doing auditions, at least, um, tend to um, do want to do auditions for. Uh, they say, "Well, I'm coming over for three days, and so mm, we could, you know, we'll want to do about 45 minutes for each audition." So, you know, so there's a it's chat. Like there's a chat. But, you know, but th they do it that oftentimes there'll be a chat. So the chair will come up to the table for the actor yeah. rather than it being farther yeah. away. And it's oh. sort of. But then you have to sort of say eventually, well, that means over three days that we can <laughs> see, see seven people. 18 people <laughs> and there are 14 roles in the play. But it kind of makes sense, doesn't uh -huh. it? Because they don't, they haven't had the opportunity to be in a casting room with these artists, nor have they really seen their work very much. They want to get a sense of so who they, they are as exactly. a Exactly, so they, they want to have that. And, and I also think there's a lot of like good manners involved that sure. I couldn't possibly ask you sure. to sing yeah. or read for me until after I've you know, given you a few moments to, to really get to know you. So it's, it's really kind of charming. It's but it's a, but it's a, it's it's a logistic respond to it challenge. I know, yeah. some actors, actors are completely freaked and out it's like, it. It's like in A Chorus Line when uh -huh. he says, tell me about yourself. I think it's Morales and she says, give me a part, give me something to say and I will say it, but I can't just talk about myself. When you tell an actor in the waiting room, okay, you're gonna come to the table and sit. Well, am I gonna do the scene with him right at the table? No, 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 you're just gonna talk first. Oh, uh, just about me? Yeah, and you, you sometimes know. have actors who are silent. Totally, oh, are completely yes silent. <laughs> yes, which is also yeah, when sometimes the directors it. you realize that by the end of the week that you're working with them, suddenly the chats are only five minutes long. <laughs> I love it though. Then <laughs> they eventually go away. <laughs> I love it because I feel like part of what we do is we do try to get in in our, our in our interactions with actors a sense of. What are they bringing into the room just in terms of who they are? Mm -hmm. You know, who are they when they buy coffee at Starbucks? How does that relate to who they are when they come into the room? We want that person to come into the room. And I feel like we, you know, there's no, I don't think there's no power that a casting director has, which I think many people that don't understand what we do think mm -hmm. that there is. Uh -huh. One of the biggest choices that we can make is in terms of who we do choose to bring in. If we have 20 slots, what 20 actors out of 40 do we personally choose to bring in based on our aesthetic, our knowledge of the director, the material. And I think we're going by what we know of those people in some ways. I mean, just for me, I don't know about you guys. Absolutely, but it's a combination of what you know about them personally, but really what you know about them as an actor. What you Absolutely. know about how, it how they work. Itself through their, exactly, through what their they're work. capable of, all, yes. all sorts of things. Absolutely. Like that, and that metric of 45 minutes <coughs> for a British director, perhaps, some British directors, is measured against what? Three minutes for, uh, for no. an American? Ten. Yeah. Ten, 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 is a, ten or fifteen minutes is a usual time slot. It also depends on the size of the role and <coughs> right. what how much you, material they've prepared. Yeah. How talkative the director is between people that come in. <laughs> and you know. we're exaggerating sometimes Sometimes with, with English directors. It's a half hour or twenty minutes. Or uh -huh. And also some of them don't, you know, and I found actually the ones who worked here um, a lot more often do 
go to a, a kind of more American system or 10 or 15 minutes. I think also right. American actors prepare for auditions very, very differently than, mm -hmm. than English actors. I think that American actors do just a remarkable amount of preparation yeah. for, for auditions in terms of how well they learn material, how much material they're able to learn, and are, they're sort of able to often be sort of up on their feet working uh, uh, from the first moment, and it allows a different kind of interaction with the director, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you, as part of the, the, the job description, do you prepare actors for the director? I mean, there's a famous story, obviously, that Meryl Streep based her character of Devil Wears Prada on Mike Nichols, which can be probably an intimidating to come into the room with Mike Nichols. Do you, uh, these actors that you do choose for these slots, do you prepare them for the director in any way? I mean, I always like to make sure that they know what to expect, you know, but I, I, I don't, I mean, I, you know, I give them, we try to make sure they've had a script the material that their sides and you know whatever material they've been expected to uh, prepare. If there are a lot of people in the room, I often tell them that so that they can kind mm -hmm. of avoid having that moment when they walk in and <coughs> there are 12 people at a mm -hmm. table. And and if there's going to be a chat, I usually tell them mm -hmm. we'll, we'll have a little chat before we do the audition just so that they can kind of line that all up in their minds before they come into the room. But Sometimes we meet actors first that we may not know as well. Mm -hmm. So before we can bring them in for a director, we have to bring them in just for us. It's called a pre-read. Um, and if it's an actor that clearly is very, very good, but has taken, has taken an approach to the material that seems not right for, the, for whatever the, the, the material is, there may be a, okay, stop for one second. I think whether it's tonally or something that they're just missing, but they seem very right. And you feel like, oh, I want to, I need, you know, I need to give a little bit of a shift. It's a fine line because you don't want to get into the actor's process or instinct at all because yeah. part of what the director is assessing is that person's natural inclination towards the material mm -hmm. and we don't really belong in that, I don't think, mm -hmm. you know. But you also want to help them if it's, you know, if it's a David Lindsay Bear play and they're playing it like Pinter, something needs to be said, <laughs> you know. Absolutely, and I think also what, particularly once you have a sense of what the director yeah. is looking for, how they uh, work on a scene with an actor yes. and what they're looking for often it's very helpful particularly when you're dealing with actors who work you don't know that well or um, uh, sometimes who've asked that, that, that they come in uh, and, and you work with them first mm -hmm. and kind of head them on the right track and then it's still very you know it's still very much their own their own audition 100%. they're creating and, and it's, uh, it's helpful I think. In terms of the, uh, it, uh, the dynamics in the audition room itself um, preparation obviously is important. Any other qualities that actors must bring into that audition? Preparation. <laughs> preparation, preparation, preparation? Preparation. And, think, and um, you know what else I think is, is an ability to be present and listen in the oh. room because oh. sometimes if you think about it, and, and I'm so impressed that actors can do this. They've learned a song maybe in 48 hours or less and they've worked on it and they stop singing for a moment and a director approaches him or her and gives them some notes. And that, and that director could be Matthew Warchens or Mike Nichols or Daniel Sullivan, you know? People who are intimidating to us and we work with them. Right. And, there's, and so here's this person who's learned this music. She stops, she gets some information and some ideas and 
is expected to apply them and work on that in the room. It's, it's brilliant and it's fascinating, but I've seen actors just not be able to really take it all in. It's, and they'll call you the next day and say, I know he's I, talking about, totally, now I can do totally. it. But, but that ability to be able to be present and listen and take on ideas, I think is, an, is a great. And it goes to what Daniel's saying. If you are prepared, if you know the material backwards and forwards, you then have the luxury when you go in of, of being more malleable, of being able to take, a, take an adjustment that the director's giving. Some actors, I think, tend to do this active listening thing when a director is talking to them, where they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and it's actually, yeah, it's repelling it rather than taking it in. I think that's what Tara's alluding to. And it's sort of like you need to be zen in the moment and sort of like yeah. cock yeah. your ear like you're listening to a whistle in the wind and you're not <laughs> and it's getting in, okay. And I think it's it. just, it's, and it's not only about being able to listen to the director because sometimes the director isn't, isn't giving Concise you direction at the moment. It's, it's also about being able to listen to the audition reader. I mean, you need to be, totally. it's like any good acting. You know, you can tell when people aren't listening in a production uh -huh. right. it's, and it's not good. Yeah. And when totally. you, you can immediately, it is the, the quickest thing you can tell in an audition is if someone's not present. They're on autopilot. They're, they're performing the scene as they have rehearsed it no matter what. And they're not listening to the audition reader. And it's, it's um, it, if an actor can, can figure out, and a lot of that is emotional so that you can kind of quiet your nerves enough to figure out how you can walk into that room and actually be present enough to be in the scene and listen that's that's all that's like all Buddhism. I can hope to do. <laughs> I will be, and it's interesting too, in terms of adjustments. Some directors are far more articulate. They do know what they want, uh -huh. and there's some clearly that are searching themselves a little bit, and, and barely some, speak. Uh -huh. Yeah, and they're barely speak. They're just they they don't or they don't want to. Yeah. They don't want to. Some uh -huh. some are kind of shy. Very shy. Joe Mantello sometimes stands in the back of the room. Hello, <laughs> you know, he's, as an actor, he has the empathy. But I think some actors hear, a, hear an adjustment that they don't agree with. And I think sometimes that's when something has to kick in, where that's a microcosm of the rehearsal room right there. Uh -huh. The uh -huh. director is directing that actor. This is how it's going to be for four weeks. So if the actor falls into, well, here's why I was doing that. It's like, understood, you, you've prepared. This is what the director is thinking. And the adjustment may be terrible. One actor, one time, this is no joke. A director behind the table said to him after his first read, I like what you're doing, but I think that the character is probably 68% more gay than you're playing him. So 68% more gay. And the poor actor, <laughs> I mean, talk about deer in headlights. He's standing there like, I don't know what to do with that note. I'm going to offend half the room and my <laughs> own sensibility, but I want the part. Next adjustment, I was wrong. I think it's probably actually 87% more gay. <laughs> You know, and the director, clearly the actor in that room, I would, I apologize to him afterwards for the experience. He wants the job, but how, you know, how do you do that? You go with it. You know, the other thing that's interesting as well is that, that often with a play, the, and, and it's one of the other great parts about what we do, we're, we're, we're involved in, in a pretty early part of the creative process. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, often the director hasn't even started working with designers on the play when we're casting. Mm -hmm. They, um, uh, or, or they're just starting to do that as well. So they are really getting uh, their creative juices flowing, I think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Point. And it's, it's it, so you're, you're very much a part of that. And, and the director often is learning about the scene and about the script 
through the auditions. So, so sometimes as they work with an actor, they're, they're really, it's partially about what they're learning themselves and mm -hmm. uh, what they may be looking for you know, at the beginning of the day may be completely different by the end of the day or more likely by the end of the week. So it, it's, a, um, it's again a really sort of fascinating process. The other thing I wanted to ask you was, have you ever been in a situation where a director has dismissed an actor and you've thought, give them another chance? Huh. Chased an actor down the street to get him back after the actor is being let, I'm sure we've all done that. Yep. <laughs> Chased an actor to an elevator, called them on their cell phone, gone, you know, sure. Cell phones Absolutely. and texting have, have made so that so much 100%. easier. <laughs> no, really we are advocates for actors at the same time, and that's part uh -huh. of what I love about the job. You know, we see so much theater, we see the body of work of a lot of actors, which is a benefit, I think, in a room with a director that may not be familiar with that actor's work. And some actors who have Broadway credits, they have a legion of them, are sometimes not strong auditioners. And so it's our job, I think, to be able to say when someone leaves, here's what was going on there. I know this person, I know what this is. You know, some directors, you read the room, and sometimes yes. the director doesn't right. want to, you know, they know, and they, yeah. that's fine. I think you can usually tell when it's, it will be worthwhile to try to open up the discussion to reconsider right. an actor who's been dismissed. Sometimes the, and it depends on the basis for the rejection, too. Sometimes it, you, just, you just know. If it's metabolic and the director was just like. That's right. It's not going to happen. Okay. Or, or just the imagination of the director it, it, there's no ground of commonality between the imagination of this actor and the imagination of right. this director. Right. But sometimes if it's, a, if it's a function of the audition itself or you know, if it's a, an artist that you really feel that you've seen do many, many different things, then I, then I feel a little more confident speaking up and, mm -hmm. and, and suggesting that we might you know, take another look. And it can be any of a number of things, or sometimes someone leaves, leave the, uh, leaves the room and you say, well, maybe we should have thought of them for a different role. Mm -hmm. And the director suddenly says, yes, can we get them back in for that? And, you know, and then it turns into you know, the mad 100-yard sprint and who right. can run the fastest. You become Jerry Lewis all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what happens when an actor comes with a lot of baggage? I mean, lots of talent, but also lots of baggage. Uh, in terms of discipline or... Luggage? Uh, yes. Props? <laughs> Luggage. Or, uh, I meant emotional yeah, yeah. Right. Right. yeah. Do you send the warning flares up to the director? Look, she's going to be difficult or he's going to be difficult. I just want you to know going into this that, you know, there was I, probably... I probably would have thought of that before I brought the person in. And to begin with. chosen not to at the beginning. Yeah. Or, or not, if it doesn't yeah. seem like it's going to work with the personality of the... Director. Someone with that big a personality probably would have been discussed before mm -hmm. he or she walked in the room. Uh, so that there would have been some, either in a creative meeting or in an initial meeting, you might have, but that's, that's where the lists are very useful because you can put a lot of those names of those people. And then that kind of will generate a discussion like, oh, do we want to deal with him and all of that stuff that comes with him or her? Right. And oftentimes you do. You know, mm -hmm. And so, sure. if it's, it's, is it it's worth kind it? of, that's, yeah, that's, that's right, it gets, is it worth it? and is there somebody else who doesn't have that? We'll look at those people too, but chances are we do want to do, you know. And everything is so individual, you know, there are some people who may say, oh, so-and-so is so difficult to work with, I would never do that again, and other people love working with them. I mean, it's the, the way everything so works in, in life is, it's all so, so subjective that, that, uh, uh, you know, you, you can't, you know, there are very few people that you dismiss because you think, oh, well, 
they have emotional baggage. We all have and emotional baggage. Some actors baggage. Have, are keen talkers, <coughs> and, and a director will uh, respond to that. And some directors are a lot more, you know, yeah. let's just get right down to it. And, yeah, and so we, don't really nice wanna, and we don't really want to, we don't want to be, a, we don't want to be, uh, that's my old boss at Jeff Johnson is oh, yeah. a keen talker. Keen talk. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, which brought up your point in terms of being subjective. Marianne Doherty just died, a longtime casting mm -hmm. director. And she said, or at least in the New York Times, uh, she was quoted as saying, anybody that says that they knew this person would be a star is lying. It is a gut instinct, you go by your gut and luck in terms of this. There's something in your gut that says this person has the potential to be a star. Do you sort of agree with her on that level? And is your nightmare sort of turning down the, the, the next Barbra Streisand, the next Meryl Streep, the next, um, you know, big star mm -hmm. to come I, along? I don't think no, I mean, I, I, I don't think, you know, I think it's fantastic when you've cast someone or you've been involved in, in a casting process where someone was was put in a role that made them a star that's incredibly exciting but we're not our job isn't to to find to make stars our job is to cast plays really well mm -hmm. tell stories uh, well and tell stories mm -hmm. well and and uh, and mm. that I mean I know that probably sounds boring <laughs> but it's really it's really true I think that that the other part is is an aspect of it and it's exciting Absolutely. but it's not I mean, there are those moments when you're sitting in a room and you're like, this person has something that is, that is unique and special. All the you know, time. whether they're going to be a star or not, who knows, you know, what that even is. And whether they're going to, whether you're going to get the opportunity to, to, you know, help cast them in that particular play or not, right. who knows, you know, a, a lot of times what we do is you see people and you think, wow, they're fantastic. They're not quite right for this, but they're right for six other things sure. I'm working on, or, or maybe you don't have the chance to bring them in again for two years yeah. for something. Right. And and that's sort of... It's yeah. a slippery slope, Patrick, in yeah. terms of saying, do you then question yourself if someone slipped through your fingers in some ways? And it's, people are at different stages in their careers. Mm -hmm. You know, someone that we meet now may, I mean, Nina Arianda, we saw her in her league showcases at NYU. I have a, I have a good memory of Nina in that, but certainly I did not know at that time when I saw Venus and Fur at CSC, I sat there and I thought, you are kidding me. <laughs> this is something that is truly exceptional. And I had seen her already, but not that. Uh -huh. And that's what makes this job amazing. We're not mm -hmm. seers. We're not, you know, you, you, you do the best you can with your, your instinct. But that's when it's exciting. I must admit that every once in a while there is that moment where, you know, the pictures are out on the table and someone is avoided. And I, and I, I think to my, I, you know, I would never say it in the moment, but I think, well, you know, okay, someone else is going to be, you know, she's sure. going to be in, she's going to be brilliant in somebody else's play, and we're missing an opportunity here. I'll actually not say that. that. Yeah. I think like, I'm too bossy. Right. I think I'm more bossy uh, than you, probably. I'm probably not bossy enough. <laughs> but, you know, there are those moments where you think, oh, here's an opportunity missed. Yeah, you know, 100%. But, you know, but 100%. It, it, Michael Hall years ago, Michael was one of those actors who he worked, but probably we knew before a lot of people that, Something was very special about Michael and Dexter. Yes, it's the realities of the marketplace, certainly, that we have to have, st producers feel that they have mm -hmm. to have stars, or the insurance of a star. Do you personally, on some personal level, feel that their stars are taking jobs away from actors who can do, A, a better job, really deserve it because they've paid their dues, or uh, C, would have a chance to go into, through that role, get into the, to the star level? 
on a personal level? It's a, it's a very com it's a complicated question. I mean, I look at uh, Tara casting Daniel Radcliffe and and How to Succeed. But casting How to Succeed, Daniel is that production is employing how many actors, uh -huh. and so if if for the one role they offer it to Daniel and he is and getting work for a lot of yeah, yeah and he's and That's he's fantastic. Other, you know, mm -hmm. it's yeah, I mean. I think star casting gets a dirty name in a way because it feels like it's some some Faustian bargain, I think. And it's mm -hmm. not often that. I mean, if you actually think about stars who have done theater who truly couldn't do it, where it's egregious and it just seems so mercenary and there's nothing artistic about it, I don't think that happens as often as people would like to make it seem, mm -hmm. you know? So I think it's, if it's the difference between a, sh a play that's worthy being produced and not being produced, I think it's a question, you know, it's part of, it's part of the times. It's a reality of yeah. Broadway right now, and even off-Broadway right now, that there is a, a great pressure to have recognizable names in order to sell tickets, in order to raise money, in order to secure theaters. And so it, it's, it's just a grim reality. And sometimes star casting is really exciting, and mm. we learn something about that artist that we didn't know before when, when we see him in a, in a play or a musical or whatever. And, and sometimes, you know, w we kind of all shake our heads and think, dang, that was a near miss, wasn't it? You know, it could, could have been better. <laughs> sure. But, but it's, it's, I think of it as just, I, I can't rail against it because it's just part of the way it is. I, I, I agree with that. It's the reality and so we have to deal with it. I, I think what's unfortunate is that it's, uh, I think, the climate is making it increasingly difficult to, uh, to, to, to it, it, there's sort of star inflation. So that mm -hmm. people who 10 years ago would have been considered a star and would have sold a production mm -hmm. no longer are in the same way. And, and I think that's, that's unfortunate. Well, mm -hmm. there's this like, that's like mm -hmm. this whole, um, I think that artists, actors get better and better the more they work. Mm -hmm. And so if you get to star in a, in a, if you play a leading part in a show, then that becomes kind of the fabric of who you are as a, as a performer. So the more you do that, the more you know, of a star you become. And when you have fewer and fewer opportunities to add into that general fund of, of talent, then something is happening. I think that might be what you were kind of pointing yes, at. Yes, yes, exactly. And uh, yes, of course, that, exactly. that's, that's going to... It deprives be... people of opportunities. Yeah. But the it other deprives thing is... people of growth. Growth. Which is why, like, rep companies, mm -hmm. like Cherry Jones at ART for years and years and years, playing so many roles. I think so. what you're talking about in some way. Mm -hmm. the, the, you know, stretching as actors. It's, actors have to go out of town increasingly now to play roles that they really want to play at regional theaters. How does uh, casting a star affect casting the other roles? Does it change the dynamic? Does it change the job? It, it really, it's so hard to make a generalization about yeah. that, I think, because it depends whether it's a, uh, probably a show where it's a, a single star versus a show that's four stars or mm -hmm. something like that. I think it's a very different it's mm -hmm. a very different dynamic in each situation. How did it work in God of Carnage? Like, did you have to keep like all four actors in mind every time you you re like? Did you always have to think of it as like who's married to who? Like, four, yeah, were you always thinking about all four? At, well, well, I, I mean, you'd that always everything be always would would fall into one person would <clears throat> fall into place, and then the mm. the it that kind of begins to influence 
So uh, someone would say yes, and yep. then you would say, okay, now yep. we go so, into, yeah. So who would they be married to, or who therefore is the right contrast in another couple, that sort of thing. And that, that, that became kind of the, the some, someone has to sort of start the ball rolling in a sense, and that's yeah. what would always do it. Sure. You're talking about chemistry largely then here, right, to some extent? You're talking about chemistry um, uh, primarily from an artistic point of view, and then you're also, I think, talking about, um, from a commercial point of view, you're also talking about figuring out how, how that also impacts things. When a producer says, okay, we have one crass term, A-list star, Denzel Washington in Fences. Right. Denzel's going to sell tickets alone, no matter who else you put in that production. Putting Viola Davis in that production with him Mm. artistically is dynamite mm -hmm. you know so that's that's fantastic that said Denzel would be enough to cast a very very good New York theater actress in that role as well people are still gonna come to see Denzel how many Denzel's are there in the world there's not a lot there's not a lot of Hugh Jackman's that's rarefied air I mean that is you know sixty thousand dollars at a Broadway cares auction afterwards tells you what that is that is that's over the top uh -huh. you know so the idea of I, I don't know about you guys, I'm curious actually. I feel like part of our jobs now is to understand wh what producers think of stars who might sell tickets and what we think, I feel sometimes mm -hmm. is disparate. Absolutely, and different producers feel different, feel different ways about stars than theater owners do, and it's, it's a complicated thing. It's interesting because it's a process we've become involved with at yes. times. Uh, I, I mean, at Lincoln Center Theater, it's primarily not, which is fantastic, but it's something that casting directors have been in, become involved with by the necessity of, of often requiring a star in order for a production right. to go. Um, it's, it's, so it becomes a very important aspect of what we do, although it's not the primary aspect of what we do and right. not the primary aspect of what we love to do, which is... The least interesting in many cases. Yeah, exactly, because you're dealing with a much, much smaller list. 100%. You're dealing with far fewer yes. options, whereas when you're casting a production with... 10 people with 30 people, whatever, you have a, a, an entire world, as, as Tara said, to, to populate, and that's incredibly exciting. Mm. In the time that I've been doing this, it's changed in a way that, you know, when Scott Rudin has Denzel Washington to do Fences, that he's, he's done that. He comes to us with it and says, we're doing this. Will you cast the rest? Then there's a whole other animal where producers will come to us with a script and they will say, okay, we, this will not get done until we have a star. So even contractually, we have to now, as casting directors, figure out a way to sort of Darwinianly adapt to that and say, okay, well, this can't go on forever. Mm -hmm. Contract me for three to six months and try to get a star. Yeah. It's a different kind of pressure for us in a certain way. It's a different kind of dialogue. It's not, like Daniel said, I can't speak for you, it's not the kind of casting that I love. Mm -hmm. You know, that list making is... You know. Well, it's just that it's it is a set group of people Absolutely. who will. It's like, and at this point, it's the same people who will. Probably and I bet you're going after similar film. people that I am right <laughs> now at the same time in the ether. The offers are out to the same <laughs> people. Uh -huh. but, you know. But again, I think the 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 bulk of what we do is not that. It's right. it's it's totally. It's the other stuff, which is is real casting, where you right. where there is a, a much different kind of dialogue about what you're doing, what you're looking for, how you're gonna find it, that sort of thing. And, I am and most envious of you casting Invention of Love and that kind of casting. Like that to me is like the heart of what we do or what I wanna do, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, it, rather than I casting agree. some big celebrity driven thing, that is to me the goal. 
that is what I would creative love. and, and yeah. tremendous rich work. material rich actors material. that you that, that we love that get the mm -hmm. opportunity to work with a wonderful director and great text Jack O'Brien yeah, yeah. I, I just think that that is that's the goal for me and we're going here a little bit and it's like you said it's the reality but you know the, the, the nightmare must be the M word miscast uh, and and I don't know who judges that necessarily often you read it in a review uh, and sometimes the public goes quite along with it. When it has happened in your ca cases, mm -hmm. um, why has it happened? Can you give us an example of that? Somebody that you thought would work for a part that didn't, or a director may have thought war would work for a part and didn't quite. What's the, what's, what are the reasons when an actor is missed? It's interesting because the, the very term, I don't even know how I feel about the term miscast. So let's start there. Do you think it's a way. misnomer? In some ways, but miscast to me is, you're going, it, it's not an exact science. Mm. You know, you're, it, it's, it's alchemy. It's alchemy with the director and the, and the piece and the, and the room. It's everything. And, if it, and sometimes an actor can't quite get at, perhaps, the heart of something. I, I'm talking in circles, but, but I can't but, quite and, figure but out what it is that I don't like. Sometimes people use that term when, in fact, an actor is doing exactly what the director wanted them to 100%. do. 100%. Mm -hmm. and, and so... There, you know, the the blame put, gets put on the actor when it shouldn't be. You know that 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 I think often people don't n understand what directors do, so it's very hard for them to either blame or not blame a director. You know, you read reviews that will be a glorious review for production, and it will just say, you know, stylishly directed by so and so, and you think, well, they must have done more than that, you know. Right. I mean, it's it seems it seems like there's there's often not, and, and unless you're in the room, you you don't know. But but the director you're in is the room who and is. It still doesn't work out right. I mean, right. because something some some element in the alchemy was off, right. you know. And we did, and right. everybody congratulated everybody at the casting table and said, "Oh my God, this is all going to be great." And somehow. Either the process of the actor and the director didn't, you know, those they were not in sync, or the the text didn't, you know, couldn't really be plumbed by that those two people together in the right way, or we'll never know, or you know, whatever it could have it could have been any number of things. So sometimes something goes wrong. Uh huh. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I mean, and right. sometimes it's simply a difference of opinion that the 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 critic disagrees with the director's interpretation of the play. And part of that director's interpretation of the play is casting that actor in it. And mm -hmm. that's, that, you know, often is, that, that may be the case. And it's a difference of opinion. And chances are it was a young woman. <laughs> Why is that? Well, I just always think that young women are the hardest parts to cast because I think everybody at the table casts so many of their own ideas about youth and innocence and sexuality and and sense the, you know whatever their own sensibility is on that person and what is beauty and what isn't beauty and how much beauty is required in order to tell the story and so um, I, I always find that that's it's a fascinating process to watch to see a group of people decide who the young woman is going to be and I find critics often don't agree with whatever that decision was, that, yeah. that, that, that the young woman should have been different and everything else would have been different. It's, it's just The John kind of Simon School of 
yeah. of reviews, yeah. to name names. Yeah. As you say, it's so subjective. Absolutely. And is there ever a time when the ball has started rolling and the director has to cut their losses and say, okay, fire an actor, this isn't working, fire an actor, and you're in the hot seat to quickly get a replacement? Mm -hmm. How does that work? And you're under tremendous pressure and tremendous time constraints. And, and secrecy, mm -hmm. because until everything is really settled, you can't, you know, all of our work has to be done with a certain amount of discretion and secrecy. Until I think that's the first part for us, right? Making yeah. sure that everything's going to be sort of, everyone will be, will be handled well. Yeah. We're sort of like the CIA, basically. <laughs> I mean, you know, the... Totally. There was one so actor that was fired from a show that I cast, and an actor was being auditioned for that actor's role in the next room because of the timing of it. It wasn't because anyone wanted to be... I mean, it was mm -hmm. this perfect storm. I mean, it's terrible. It's just, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's never fun. It's never fun. It's never any one person's fault, you know? It's, it's almost never the actor's fault. Uh -huh. I mean, it's, it's usually that the decision was wrong, and, and mm -hmm. we, we thought we had picked the, you know, had made the right decision, and it's, right. I, in my, my experience, it's almost, you know, never the actor's fault. Yeah. And um, in terms of, of do the directors or the producers come to you and ask you for your advice whether this person should be fired or not, or is it generally handed to you? Sometimes. Often? It's, it's really, it's, uh, I find it's, you know, it's luckily a situation that doesn't happen that often, right. And, right. and it's completely different each, each and time. And if we, where it is in the process, if we've seen a run-through of something so we actually can speak to what is actually happening, you know, in the last five minutes that we have, I wanted to just turn to uh, uh, the subject of ethnic casting, uh, because there was just a report uh, in which Stephen Adley Gerges, uh, the writer of Mother with a Hat, uh, went public with his dissatisfaction with the casting of two actors who were non-Hispanic in Hispanic roles that we saw them in. Um, do you have any opinions of this uh, to start with? And secondly, uh, I think one of you cast Bombay Dreams, mm -hmm, right? I did. You did. Uh, is that a shallow pool that you have to cast from, comparatively you know, speaking? Well, do you want to talk about yes, let's talk Mother about, with a Hat first? Yes, let's or? talk about Mother with a Hat first. I mean, I just read about that uh, this morning or last night, I think. I mean, it's, it's kind of, the thing that's most interesting to me about it is, you know, why did, Clearly, someone thought that they wanted to tell the story with different people and in a different way. So I would have thought that the writer would have been consulted about yeah, Without that. knowing the process and the sort of yeah, I mean, I of just, how it happened. Yeah, no, know. it's just you don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I, 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 it's just, it's interesting. I, you know, you, you just wonder how, how it happened. I think the casting notice that went out said no specific ethnicity required for those roles, I, I guess. Uh, I, I think though that, that whatever the casting notice said isn't necessarily the, the most important point. The most important point is how they cast it and, and that that's what's created a problem because mm -hmm. the casting notice isn't what casts the play. It's who, who is considered for it and who, right. who and is And if on the first it. day only white actors are coming in and there's some problem with that that's gonna be addressed or yeah. not, mm -hmm. you know? And then getting back to casting a Bombay Dreams or something that demands a lot of, you know, I suppose free man of color to, to, to some extent, demands certain ethnic ethnicities. Is that a shallow pool uh, in terms, was that a real challenge because of the shallow pool? Well, it was just, um, 
because it was also a musical, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so we had to find singing, dancing, South Asian actors. So that was the most challenging part of it because, you know, there's all, there's a huge movie industry in India and, you know, there, there are many, many South Asian actors, but there weren't a, a lot who sang and danced. And so we had auditions in um, Vancouver, mm -hmm. L.A., San Francisco, Chicago, New York, London. So we went to Toronto and we cast people in every city. That was the fun part of, mm. the, on opening night. Like there was somebody from each, each stop of the casting trip. We, and so um, that was good. Um, I, I, no, I think I mean, that it's a very different situation in terms mm. of, of, I mean, in terms of free man of color, there were there's fantastic pools of, of um, African-American actors. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, it's, it's. In wrapping up, I wanted to ask each of you for an example of the most gratifying experience you've had in casting, just you know, off the top of your head, and why. Obviously, you mentioned in mention of love for him, but uh, uh, just uh, just go down the line and and say what. Uh, huh? God, there's so many. Has it, been among. <clears throat> just honestly, an example. For me, it's just been being able to work with the people that I've been able to work with. Quite honestly, the directors. The one thing I will say is we, when you were talking about Sada coming in for Mike Nichols, when Allison Pill came in for Joe Mantello for Blackbird, it was one of the most astonishing auditions I've ever seen in my life. And it was that rare moment, not rare, but that moment when it's so organically just like, I am so happy I do what I do. <laughs> that was amazing. That was, I, I just witnessed that. I'm lucky mm -hmm. doing what I do. So that was. That excitement. Yeah, it's huge, huge. Era? I have. Uh, uh, Many, many great memories. I, two, of, two, two of the top ones involved Susan Stroman because they involved dancing and uh, the, the original day of, of dancing in couples for contact. We had a huge room at Carnegie Hall and, that big, and you know, 25 couples dancing together to that music blasting and that was pretty amazing. And <laughs> we didn't even really know what we were doing. Well, she did, of course, but I didn't really know what, was, what it was going to turn out to be. And then... For the producer's movie, we had that same room with a, about 50 overweight and crazy looking guys who were gonna be the prisoners of love <laughs> dancing <laughs> together. And that was the awesome. great, great day. I loved that day. I think probably just because it's most recent uh, War Horse and, and oh. putting together a cast of so many people with such uh, diverse talents um, uh, all at one time was, was uh, incredibly gratifying. And one of the fascinating aspects that, that we talked about briefly before we started this telecast is the fact that the people who manipulate the horses are actors first. Absolutely, they all, I mean, it's really fascinating. People, they come from a variety of different backgrounds. There are a number of people who are out of great acting training programs like Yale and NYU's MFA program. And then there are some people who have major puppetry experience. Some of them have no puppetry experience. Some of them have some dance background, some of them have kind of movement theater background. So it's a... Uh, Is there they, horse camp? Do they go to horse yeah, camp? Yeah, well, basically, they, they? they start rehearsing for two weeks before the rest of the company does, yeah. and it is, uh. it is big, uh. big time horse camp. Uh. But it's, uh, it's, it's amazing in terms of finding people who have the uh, uh, physical ability to do it and the physical and, and uh, uh, ability and passion to learn to do it is really what's involved in finding, finding those folks. And it's, it's a great and, 
an exciting process doing that. But all of the, you know, there's so many other cast members in it who have so many requirements about, you know, either uh, singing and playing an instrument or being able to do certain accents or, or uh, you know, being able to, to uh, play certain instruments, do an accent, and <laughs> puppet a horse. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty wild. Your special wild. skills are wide. Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> well, I thank you very much for a most stimulating yeah. discussion. You made my job really easy. <laughs> thank you. And thank, thank you, you for joining us. These programs are brought to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York in partnership with our friends at CUNY TV. On behalf of the American Theater Wing, I'm Patrick Pacheco, and thanks for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theater. I'm Ted Chapin, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing. The Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. Best known for creating the Tony Awards, we stand for excellence, but we also support education in the theatre, and our work reaches beyond Broadway in New York. The Working in the Theatre television programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are unequaled forums for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth radio interviews were created in conjunction with XM Satellite Radio and can be heard on our website. For people who are starting their careers, we have a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country called Springboard NYC. And our theater intern group provides a forum for young people who are starting their careers to build a professional network. All of the American Theater Wing's educational and media programs are available for free on demand from our website, americantheaterwing.org. Thanks for your interest in the Wing, and thanks for watching.